and welcome to the found cause where we've kind of found our cause and serve the lord jesus christ i'm michael the man behind the machine and to my left your right is sebastian the bookkeeper hey sebastian how's it going doing great and you i am doing not so well only because sebastian not that you viewer at home know but we have a group chat me sebastian and theor all the co-hosts of the found cause and he likes to send either very 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 long church history articles which are definitely read by me and not ignored um <laughs> or or quotes and clips from like insane preachers um including the woman we are about to react to today so i want to if you don't enjoy today's episode because of the content you can blame sebastian he's the one that really found this woman she's been featured on a couple other podcasts that i also listen to but honestly i clearly blocked her out of my mind because i do not remember her being <laughs> talked about really um, but sebastian has followed her not only from those podcasts uh, james white and some others but uh, also on his own just like checking in to see how what she does yes yes i do as you might think it's masochism but i do every once in a while check in with people i don't agree with which is a lost art in many groups in the world not just in the u.s but i think it's good for the soul to listen actually it's not pretty bad for your heart because of the stress i get from listening to people like her but it's good to understand to get into the mindset of what people that think very differently than you how they think so i'm going to pre-warn the audience um Usually I try to stay pretty composed. Um, there's a couple exceptions uh, where I am like totally not taking the reaction video seriously. I'm often kind of quippy. We're both kind of quippy, whatever. And it's an enjoyable, fun episode. It's not supposed to be ridiculously the theologically deep. However, I'll say this one, I might be particularly not taking it seriously. So I apologize in advance, especially if you're a fan. This is Pastor Dawn Hutchins. She's uh, Canadian. I believe she's from Vancouver. She is a woman pastor, pro-LGBTQ, um, part of the deconstructionist movement, uh -huh. meaning that she's deconstructing her faith, meaning she's really, she's not, she doesn't believe in God as we would traditionally believe in God. But she calls herself a Christian minister. And so we will see how she reacts, um, how she explains vaccinating ourselves against the infection of atonement theology. And we are reacting to this, not just because Sebastian sends this lady, um, <laughs> not all the time, but several times, but also because our previous episode was on atonement theology and all the different kinds of atonement theology. So this is a good application to see what a liberal theologian pastor believes about atonement and why they would take those non-traditional i think evil and incomplete versions of the atonement to heart it's because of all the other motivators this this pastor has and i put pastor in quotations because she not only denies christ i would say in the gospel entirely but she's also a woman which i don't think is a really lawful pastoral so we will go through that and for all the fans out there know that me and sebastian are viciously conservative and so we will be holding to everything you hold and, and fear about uh conservative christians that is anti-lgbtq um anti-women pastors etc and we, we take the bible seriously and we take the bible seriously the caveat is um anybody can come to christ whatever position you're in whatever blasphemies you've uttered you come to christ so this is a call to Pastor Don to repent and turn to Christ, uh, a call to any people caught up in the kind of deconstructionist movement that is trying to keep a label Christianity without any of the beliefs of Christianity. We would say, come out of it, come to Christ again, um, and don't, don't go to your former ways because they'll just lead to the same death you had before Christ. So without further ado, here is Pastor Don Hutchins. Here we go. From within this pandemic wilderness of Lent, we must prepare ourselves to enter our second Holy Week in lockdown. At a time when so much of our focus revolves around the hope generated by the arrival of vaccines, it occurs to me that we would do well to remember to vaccinate ourselves against more than just COVID. 
Now is the time to vaccinate ourselves against the virus of atonement theology, which threatens to afflict our vision and restrict our ability to see Jesus. So two comments. One, our church is shut down for the pandemic, of course, um, but also she's going to vaccinate us or she, she wants us to get vaccinated, meaning inoculated with a little bit of it so that we're resistant against it, I suppose. Atonement theology, which is, which is a surprisingly accurate way to put it. She's trying to put a little bit of truth in so that you're inoculated against the actual truth, right? Like a little bit of truth so you have an allergic immediate reaction to the actual truth because you're like, oh, you said Jesus died for me? Well, I translate that to mean... Um, He's not God and he died for me, like as an example or whatever else she's going to say. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of surprisingly accurate that she would say she's vaccinating herself against the infection of atonement theology. Um, except it's what saves you. You know, it's the disease that saves you. It's like um, the bacterial gut that, that helps you digest food. If you don't have it, you can't live. I'm afraid that the vi various strains of atonement theology are just about to infect our journey through Holy Week. So before we are... I don't know what, like, is there like some protesters outside her church that are about to infect? I don't know what she's thinking. It's inevitable, considering it's been there for 2,000 years, um, why it's just about to infect her Holy Week. Oh, because for those people who have are coming into the deconstruction movement, you've been normally in a conservative church. Mm -hmm. Therefore, now that you're transitioning here, you might still have you might be oh it's like it might come back it's like it's like the corinthians corinthians yes that don't eat meat sacrificed to idols because it might remind you of the idols that you used to worship so it's like be careful with lent because it might remind you of jesus your, dying your for old, you yeah your old atonement theories okay okay blinded by proclamations of blood sacrifice let us vaccinate ourselves lest the infection of atonement theology forces us to look away from the realities of Jesus' life and death in favor of the blood-soaked, wet dream of a God which is unworthy of our worship. Whoa. Nice. Oh, man. So I Twinsies. thought I was going to be offensive with, with all my rhetoric, so I'm glad I've got another rhetorician on, on the podcast here. So the blood-soaked, wet dream. If you don't remember when we did our, our explanation of theology, let me, our atonement theology, let me do it again. Mm -hmm. um, traditional Christian view it's called penal substitutionary atonement. I say traditional because it is the vast, 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 vast majority of every Christian, even the so-called Christians out there. Obviously, we believe in it as well because we're, you know, hyper-conservative, what I said, but not just hyper-conservatives. Like everybody that calls themselves a Christian, little babies at Sunday school understand penal substitutionary atonement. That is that there's wrath upon humanity. God requires wrath against sin because he's just and he and a just God punishes sin. And the punishment for sin is death, as Romans says. So there's a penalty that Christ paid for us he's the substitute so it's penal because it's paying a punishment from god it's substitutionary because jesus died in our place paid the price of that wrath in our place and his atonement because we are atoned by his substitutionary payment of our sin and so jesus died for your sins is how that's normally said he died to pay the price that you were due and therefore you can live forever with him that's penal substitutionary atonement. The other versions of atonement, there's one called ransom theory, which was in the very early church um, that said that Jesus died as a trick to Satan, that Satan had mankind in his hand, that God had given him authority since the Garden of Eden to have mankind in his hand, and that he traded his son for humanity, and that Satan took that deal, not knowing that Jesus would just return to heaven again. And so Jesus did it again, like a trickster god of old, did the old switcheroo against Satan. Nowhere is that found in the Bible. It's kind of a weird definition and really it was only in the mm -hmm. very early church so these days i would say there's no excuse for believing that 
the other three general views of atonement are all pretty much incomplete versions of penal substitutionary atonement or the traditional view and they explicitly avoid the penal substitutionary atonement language because they don't like a wrathful god is typically what it is they don't like that god has wrath so they either are trying to disconnect themselves from the mean old old testament which has the like genocide of the canaanites or whatever else um and so they can easily kick the old testament bucket because most americans don't like that anyways but it's a lot harder to ditch the new testament bucket because then you'd be ditching you know everything that makes you a christian um so they have to somehow uh, avoid talking about God's wrath in the New Testament, even though it's there plainly. It's the whole reason Jesus died. And so they say, well, Jesus really came to show us an example of what you should be doing and that we would have to die too if we were really going to follow Christ. He, it's, we agree with that. He did that. Mm-hmm. But he mainly died for penal substitutionary atonement. It wasn't, you know, the example was just a bonus. Mm-hmm. So we would agree with the example theology, but it doesn't go all the way. Same goes for another one called um, Christ's victor theory. So you got a fancy word in Latin that I forget. Uh, Christus victor. Sure. Uh, so fancy. Sounds just like English. Um, that one says that Christ died to be victorious over the devil, which we also agree. But how did he become victorious? Through penal substitutionary atonement. That's how he atoned his people. That's why he's victorious over the devil. So we agree that he is victorious, but it's not just he didn't die for some ambiguous cause or reason. He died to have victory through penal substitutionary atonement. Yes. So in summary, then, we agree with those theories, but we disagree with the intentions behind the theories. So the claims they're making are true. Christ did conquer Satan, evil, death. But some of these people say that because they want to get rid of penal substitution. That's what we've been saying. And this is not, obviously, it's not just an assertion from me and Sebastian. You can hear it in, in Pastor Dawn's language. She's refuting the bloody wet dream whatever she's talking about of this false god she does not believe in the actual biblical god who required blood sacrifice both in the old testament and the new and that the blood sacrifice was from a man the only spotless man that's that's the price that sin was the blood of men that's what sin requires death of men so it required a bloody sacrifice of jesus christ so she hates that view it's biblical of course it's found throughout the scriptures we we did a full run through before but just so that you know that jesus that jesus at god requires payment for sin we can list through a couple verses there's tons you can google it on your own you can type in um, bible verses on the punishment of sin or bible verses about atonement and you will see for yourself but i and you can read through your bible and get better context on these but i'll just say a couple here isaiah 13 11 says this thus i will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their inequity i will also put an end to the arrogance of the proud and abase the haughtiness of the ruthless now it's Old Testament, but of course it's the same God, new and old. And you can see here God is proclaiming that he's not only going to punish the world for its evil in the grand sense, but also the specific people, the wicked for their inequity. And he will also put an end to the arrogance of the proud and abase the haughtiness of the ruthless. That's because he's just. So there's just justice showing. Not only is he punishing the wicked, but it's because for the sake of justice, which we all agree that we should have justice. And to give one from the New Testament right out of Jesus's mouth, he describes um, the goats and the sheep. In Matthew 25, he says, "You'll be in the last days. The good will be put on God's left, and they're on the right, and the goats on his left. And the good will be called sheep, and the bad will be called goats. And to the goats, he says that a big diatribe of you haven't, you know, when I was hungry, you didn't give me food; when I was thirsty, you didn't give me water. And they say, when when did we not do these things for you? And he said, whatever you didn't do for the least of these, you didn't do for me. Mm-hmm. I'm sure Pastor Don likes that verse, right? Because it's about giving to the poor." and giving to those less fortunate than you. However, he ends it by telling those goats, those people, these, he says, depart from me, you who are cursed into the fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. At the end, he says, these will go away into eternal punishment, 
but the righteous into eternal life. So God does punish the wicked. It's in scripture. It's not only in the Old Testament, but it's also in the New Testament, straight from Jesus' mouth. So if you deny this aspect of God, you deny not only the scriptures, but also Jesus himself and what he said. So with all that preamble, do you have any verses? No, I was just checking to see the Greek, and it, it is, yes, uh, eternal punishment, aeonion, which is a word we have gone over, and then eternal life, soen, aeonion. So a lot so of points same. So it's the same. It's eternity in life, eternity in death, no difference. Right. And we've used that to justify eternal hell as opposed to temporary hell or other theories. Yeah. Um, but here we're just showing that it, that there is a punishment for sinners, whatever you believe. So we'll let her go. We've done a lot of preamble. Mm -hmm. Let's yes. hear talk. Even though you may have already been vaccinated against the various strains of atonement theory, I suspect that the residue of such thoughts about Jesus still lingers. And for the sake of our health, we could all use a booster shot to protect us from the very real possibility of rejecting Jesus altogether. Like many vaccines, the inoculation against atonement theory begins with a touch of the disease itself. So to build... Oh, look! So my, my theory about her... her um, <laughs> analogy here is correct it actually is strangely accurate creepily accurate considering it's an evil vaccine they're getting but do you have any comment no well let, let's let's keep it going it's gonna get better hold up our immunity against atonement theory have you seen this before probably have okay let's Marcus begin with a familiar <laughs> dose of the disease to prime our own antibodies to resist atonement theory do you hear it that familiar tune I don't know this tune. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Uh. Absolutely, I was there when they crucified my Lord. For so very many years, my affirmative answer to this quintessential Good Friday hymn was based on what the church taught me about the death of Jesus. I, like many Christians, was taught that Jesus died upon the cross to save humanity from sin. Shema Israel. As he did, yep. I was also taught that I am in bondage to sin and I cannot free myself. As you are as evidenced by your current state of things. I mean, Pastor Don, you're currently a slave to this desires of your flesh as posited by the whole the whole lesbian thing. Um, there's no denying that you are a slave to your sin. And anybody that is not slave to Christ is a slave to something, i.e. their flesh or some other ruler. That's the teaching of the Bible, it's the teaching of Scripture. If you think otherwise, you're denying Scripture, you're not really a Christian. Um, but we would say that you, there's no neutrality in the world. You cannot be neutral. You're either a slave to God or you're a slave to something else. And so, yes, the, the doctrine of original sin is controversial with those who hate it. But, of course, those who hate it hate God, so it's not that surprising. However, it's not just original sin that we're talking about. We're talking about just no neutrality, which I think is an even more acceptable uh, philosophy. And that is that you're either for Jesus or against Jesus, as he says himself as well. You are either with God, and any of those who aren't with God are against God. Now, that doesn't mean that those who are preaching Christ, like they have an Acts, that are preaching Christ, that the apostles don't know, um, Jesus says, or actually this is the, the, the Gospels, Jesus says, let them preach, right, because they're preaching my name. Um, however, if they aren't preaching Christ, they are against Christ. So that's the, the general rule is there's no neutrality. And so you can't be neutral either. You are either a sinner or you are saved. And as a pastor, I would say, because I've also had, you know, some responsibility with teaching, as I'm sure you also have, Michael, in your church, mm -hmm. that knowing how all these world systems work, that they're putting all these pressure, they put pressure on people to get right with God, to do X, Y, and C, donate to the poor, love one another. By putting all these requirements on people, 
you are not bridging the gap at all between them and God. They're, you're still completely alienated from God. Same right. with the people that you preach. Right, they're your good works that you do, because they are good works, but if you don't do them out of a perfectly good heart, they're nullified. And even if you do them out of a good heart, and, and, and they count towards you, your sin is so great that you're nowhere near God. Yes, yes. So by, by getting rid, by pulling the rug out of the atonement, out of the whole purpose of the entire Old Testament sacrifices as Jesus came and came to fulfill the law. He is the Lamb. Yes, you can live very good lives in, in the sense of doing good works, but you're no closer to God than, than you were before. Right, and, and you promote arrogance in the church. I mean, to deny that you have sin is to make God out to be a liar who says that every man has sinned. So this is just quintessential First John yeah. lying. So Pastor Dunn, you are lying here. I was taught that I was born in sin, that sinfulness is part of what it means to be human, and that God so loved the world that he, and I do mean he, sent his only son to die because someone had to pay the price. She does mean he, by the way, in case you're wondering. Clearly a little um, angry about God being a man. He, of course, is not a man like us, but he goes by the male pronouns. Mm -hmm. For our sin, this quid pro quo of God the Father led me to the undeniable conclusion that I was responsible for Jesus' crucifixion. My guilt, my shame, my sinfulness compelled me to declare, yes, I was there when they crucified my Lord. I was there when they nailed him to the tree. I was there when they pierced him in his side. I was there when the sun refused to shine. And I was there when they laid him in the tomb. The sheer horror of my culpability in Jesus' sacrifice for my sin caused me to tremble, tremble, tremble fear the lord with fear and trembling or love the lord fear children whatever go and worship the lord with fear and trembling as scripture says as i'm misquoting here uh sounds like you had a regular christian experience um, which is good because you should be in awe and humbled by the fact that your sins were on jesus if you're one of his that he paid for your price on the cross yours specifically and he wouldn't have had to die had no man sinned so your sin on top of Jesus was was another reason he went to the cross. So yes, all Christians are culpable in that way of Jesus's death. Now he gave it as a free will offering. It wasn't taken from him. He gave it. He did it for a purpose and it is a grand purpose and he's given it and won it people to himself. So it's not something to mourn over, something to rejoice over. However, we should be contrite in spirit when we think about our sin, being joyous, as David says in the Psalms, how happy is the man whose sin is put far from him, but hating sin and um, not loving ourselves in a way that is loving our sin, right? We should hate sin and love God. I was there when they crucified my Lord. The doctrine of atonement permeated my being so much so that even though I have long since stopped believing that Jesus died to save me from my sin. I mean, we were already assuming or responding to her like she was going to do this, but there's the, the first <laughs> actual denial. She's saying not only is she alluding to it by insulting uh, penal substitution to him but calling it some bloody wet dream. Um, but she's now saying she denies, she once believed and now denies that Jesus died for her sin, which of course is a denial of uh, the gospel. So she's not a Christian. Yes. So in other words, the bridge that Christ built for her, she just like burned it all down. Right. Right. Of course, she can't. The, the road of salvation well, yes, is still yes, open not, to anybody. Yes, but yes. yes, if she... She has pretended she, like she burned it down. She's trying to set on fire. She's just throwing yes. Molotov cocktails. Exactly. Over it. The residue of atonement theories continues 
to cause me to tremble. Even though I have learned to look beyond the stories found in the scriptures in which various followers of the way portray the crucifixion in ways which spoke to their particular communities. Oof, man, we're getting a lot here. Uh, <laughs> so not only the, the rejection of atonement theory and all that, but also... I, I, Obviously, I mean, it, it's not a surprise. It's just there's going to be a lot of things to talk about here. But she also denies clearly the um, legitimacy of Scripture, or at least what I would call um, the inerrancy of Scripture. So she's saying that some certain followers of the way or whatever are trying to be cutesy about Christians, early Christians, right? Mark, Matthew, Luke, John, these people, um, that they were describing Jesus in a way that was best for the people of their time. Uh, first of all, give me a break. Okay, I, I, The people of their time hated them so i don't think it was particularly tailored for the people of their time considering how small the christian movement was even in the beginning i mean a lot of people came to christ but it wasn't like custom tailored for jewish society in fact it made the jews so mad that they killed and stoned christians so not exactly tailored for for their their societies and it didn't help that the roman empire was coming left and right seizing holy books and right. killing people so i think it's ridiculous to say that it was tailored for its particular people it was it, probably more divisive back then than it is today and it's divisive today and i mean as divisive as saying you know that that homosexuality is wrong that it's worthy of death all the rest right so that's the most spicy part of christianity today and i would say back in the roman day and with the jews and the romans both it was even more controversial to just say what the gospel writers said so no it was not custom tailored for the people of their time it was in fact more controversial than it is today and so the fact that you don aren't willing to stand up for the little bit of controversy that's in it today shows that you are one of the jews one of the pharisees one of the romans whoever was stoning the christians you're alongside um you're there at the cross goading everybody on to kill jesus and you won't you won't be saved by him right jesus saves even his crucifier says forgive them for what they do but if you don't turn and repent don you will be lost just like the romans were and the jews and whoever else I still tremble. I have learned much about the motives of the various anonymous gospel storytellers. And I oh yes, in all, in many of her sermons, she does tend to say the anonymous gospel teller we call Matthew, and anonymous gospel we call it's yeah. the anonymous gospel storytellers. Yeah, um, really demeaning there, I guess, to the authors. Now we, of course, traditionally ascribe. Um, the gospels do who they are so to a certain extent i can understand why she's doing that but obviously she means to emphasize not only um the fact that they're that it doesn't say hi i'm john i'm writing this gospel but that they aren't really written by john which um we would deny so yes they are anonymous and that they don't proclaim themselves to be but um plainly they are the word of god and uh there's reasons that we believe they're attributed to the gospels i.e the people who wrote them knew who wrote them that's why they're attributed to mark matthew luke and john respectively so I, i'm just sad i'm just sad that, that <laughs> liberal theology is in full swing here so again the claims may be correct but the intention is questionable right and I, let's see how she applies it right now. <laughs> and I know that the weavers of the passion narratives were not eyewitnesses to the crucifixion. Okay, so there, yeah, I mean, she applies it and says, yes, they're not only anonymous, they weren't actually eyewitnesses to the crucifixion. John, of course, was. So here she is implying that John is not an eyewitness to the um, crucifixion or... She's saying the author's not John, which is what I really assume she's saying. I guess some weird evil cabal wrote it, or maybe um, followers 100 years down the line. I mean, the theory is that we, we've gone through this before. There's several episodes we've mm -hmm. responded to Apologia and some other responses of, of when the Gospels are written and the Gospel reliability, if you want to see our other episodes. But it really is laughable, the theories that 
um, these gospels came up so far in the future. Um, and it gets embarrassed every time there's an earlier and earlier gospel found. Yes, and I've heard her claim, and she may have gone back in this, but that beautiful, actually sad, sad, sad conspiracy that either the Constantine in Nicaea, the bishops, not, not Constantine, sorry, the bishops there, they're the ones responsible for the canonization of the books and narrowing down on what real theology is. Well, I mean, for the record, I would encourage anybody with careful, with a lot of caution, to read the Gnostic Gospels and tell me if that sounds like anything that you would read in the Gospel of Matthew. Right. And I, I don't even think it was particularly controversial when they decided the canon there because they didn't really decide it. They just exactly it. it was already decided. Yes, there was there was no issue with the canon. It was decided in Carthage, different council. And also, I would say, I don't know why everyone likes to heap on Constantine. I would say it's Theodosius, the guy who, if you're going to do a conspiracy in anybody, it would be him because he's the one who made it the official religion of the emperor. Right. Constantine. I digress. Let's keep going. Anyways, laughably, non-historic, whatever. She, she's acting like she's the well-read one, but of course she's well-read with lies. I know that the anonymous gospel storyteller, which we call John, wrote, wrote his interpretation of Jesus' execution more than 70 years after the event. I mean, I don't agree with that. He might have been around 70 years old, but oh, he's yeah, at he, Patmos, so that's possible, but it wouldn't be 70 years after the event. In any case, she's she's... More than implying, she's outright saying it's not John, or it's an anonymous, anonymous gospel storyteller. So not only is it not who we think it is, it's not an eyewitness, but it's also a storyteller, meaning like what he's saying isn't really true. So I don't, I'm not really sure, Don, who exactly you worship. Is it the idea of Jesus? I think that's true. I think that actually is her, her opinion. So maybe my insult is oh. really going to fall flat. But she, she clearly worships a, a fake, made up, admittedly by herself concept of what Jesus could have been or like what she likes about him so not the actual man who may or may not have lived or whatever she's saying certainly not an actual living powerful just god who could save her um no some concept about how to live is what she believes so she's not a christian she's a flaming pagan and should be denounced from her seat if her congregation had any um justice in them whatsoever but i urge her to repent and turn away but the blasphemy is very strong at uh, five minutes in here I, will not give I any know spoilers. that the anonymous gospel story, which we call John, lived in a community which had experienced the wrath of the Roman Empire and lived with the reality that the Romans had destroyed the temple in Jerusalem and driven the Jewish people into exile. Disputed. I mean, obviously, we're already here. Facts are very <laughs> demented, so maybe I'm, I'm wasting my effort here. But I'm disputed. There are some Christians who believe that John did write after the destruction of the temple. Um, I'd be one of them, but I'm, I would be easily convinced if he also wrote it before there's theories like did he write it uh post in um, domitian's time or was he deported and wrote it during nero's time if it was in nero's time it would have been before the destruction of the temple if it was domitian's time which is the traditional dating it would have been after in any case she's clearly not even quoting that she's quoting like some weird like john didn't even write it which that's above me scholars have taught us that the fledgling community of followers of the way had been driven out of Jewish synagogues and were at odds with the Jewish community. Scholars have taught us that the anonymous gospel storytellers had all sorts of reasons for telling the story of Jesus' death in a particular way. Cast so we don't even know who they are. She's saying they're anonymous. Um, they're, they're some cabal somewhere far away. We just know the things that happened to early Christians and so we can, we can deduce what might have happened to them. But she's able to, to tell you their motivations. So she has no idea who they is, but she's able to tell you exactly what their motivations are. I have a better question. 
why are we even taking seriously the words of this anonymous sad group of people that we don't even know who they are well plainly but, she's not that's what i think she's building the case for the rejection of the clear scripture that supports penal substitutionary atonement by questioning the legitimacy of the scripture at all then why is she a pastor <laughs> right what what is her faith <laughs> These are all very good saying. questions like, what does she actually believe in it's like it's, it's entirely her own made thing so why quote scripture at all right it's like quoting gandhi or something it's just why wear those robes that represent luther but you know is that kai right there a row what is that the p with the cross on it yes i would assume it's key not the romans as jesus executioners we now know that crucifixions were carried out in the thousands by the roman empire as a means of striking fear into the hearts of occupied peoples we know only too well that the idea that the Jews would have shouted, crucify him, is in all likelihood the storyteller's attempt to shift the blame from the forces of empire. We now know it. We now know it. We now know it. You know, like, uh, I'm not sure which would be worse, right? If, if the anonymous storytellers of the gospel was actually a true statement, right? And they actually were anonymous storytellers and they were inserting things the Jews didn't say into it. Or if... Um, assuming that you can know the motivation of people you don't even know the identity to 2000 years ago is um uh, like that that arrogance is is worse than the supposed crime she's saying that these gospel story writers wrote in that was i guess anti-semitic or whatever <laughs> she's saying um obviously we hold to the jews actually did say that uh, there's forgiveness for the jews the very people that was crucifying jesus jesus father uh, forgive them for they know not what they do so this is not a curse against the jewish people i.e like they can never be saved however the jewish people as they did in the old testament rejected god in the new testament as well as a, as a whole so they were jews that were saved obviously the earliest christians were all jews but um we would affirm that yes the jews did say crucify him and when pilate said um why what has he done wrong they responded um crucify him again and then finally he concedes washes his hands and says, my hands are clean in the blood of this innocent man. And they say, let his blood be on us and on our children. We affirm it all. In fact, this is a, a statement that um, in The Passion of the Christ, famous movie made by Mel Gibson, it's all captioned because it's all in Hebrew or Aramaic or whatever the original languages were. And at the crucifixion scene, the Jews say in Hebrew, because they had it as part of the script, um, his blood be on us and on our children. But they take it out of the captions because it was so controversial that the Jews would have said that, even in today's modern stuff. So I understand it's a controversial to modern people because I guess it offends Jewish people because they don't like being portrayed like that. But that is what they said. And to deny it is a fantasy in and of yourself. You say you know it. I don't think that word means the same thing that you think it means. On to the Jewish people, the occupied people of Rome. We certainly know that the anonymous gospel storyteller, which we call Matthew, Woo! has done an untold do that every time? amount of damage mm -hmm. by putting into the mouths of the Jewish crowds the words, crucify him. His blood is upon us and upon our ch well, look, she did it. children. The deaths of millions of Jews, indeed even the Holocaust, can be directly attributed to Christian contempt. For directly contributed oh to my Christian gosh. contempt. So like... Not indirectly, not even like, like, oh, the Nazis used it as like a justification for hating Jews. No, directly attributed, like, like Christian ministers, Hitler himself was saying, quoting this, quoting the Jews crucified Jesus and then pulling the lever on the gas chamber. Um, yeah, that's um, equally ridiculous. What, you mean the Hitler, the one who hated the Christianity? Christianity, right? So clearly it's not directly. I guess you could say indirectly, but plainly not directly. That's insane. Or Jews malignly accused of being Christ killers. 
who killed Christ? Okay, even if you dispute that the Jewish people said the words crucify him or his blood be on us and our children, yes, the Romans were the ones that executed the execution, right? But who who do you think called for Jesus's execution? Why would the Romans be executing him? It was at behest of the Pharisees, right? So even if you say Pharisees or whatever and try to like shift the blame from, from Jewish people as a whole, uh, somebody that wasn't Rome called for the execution and the Romans executed him. So even if they didn't say the words you so despise here and you think are so dangerous, the Jews were responsible for Jesus's death. Yes, to be precise, perhaps... You might say the leadership of the Jews, the Jewish leadership, the people in charge of all religious aspects in Jewish society wanted Jesus to be crucified. Well, not only that, but of course, the and gospels, also the people. And also yeah, the, the gospel people. is attached to the people. Saying, <laughs> yes, right? they so also crowd of people. Leaders, yes. It was, it was the yes. Sanhedrin convinced the people to ask for it. So again, there's forgiveness for Jews. It's not, not some like blanket damnation of all of them, but they did as a people reject Christ. And so too today as a people, there are Jews who accepted him, of course, back then and today. And so for years, I sang I was there. It was I who crucified him, I who denied him, in a vain attempt to point to a kinder, gentler, historically correct vision of Jesus' execution. And still, I trembled, 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 because it was my sin, our sin, from which we needed to be rescued. I could see myself there, watching from the sidelines, knowing full well that Jesus died to save me and to save you. So this is part of her deconstruction. Uh, moment, right? She's saying, even though, even when she knew that the knew, quote unquote, that the gospels were anonymous and fake, right? Um, she still believed that Jesus died for sins, that Jesus was crucified and died for sins. So this is her evolving narrative, um, her evolving apostasy as she left the church. Not only she's denying scripture and the validity of scripture, which can be a phase for people. And that's why I don't just blanketly say, oh, you deny scripture and therefore like you're done forever. Um, I've, I've known people, close friends, um, so with the podcast that have, that have, uh, believed in the errancy of scripture and have come out of that grace be to God and came back into the fold and they were Christians then when they were out and they were Christians and they came back in um, but they denied that aspect so I want to have a lot of patience with with differences but this denial is is far deeper than that so she's saying even when she had those uh, falsities right even when she had her new enlightenment of believing that the Bible isn't true um, she still believed in regular old atonement and it was bothering her it was, uh, you could say, piercing her conscience, and now her conscience is good and seared, so I guess she's not being pierced by it anymore. Yeah, I mean, as a pastor, I would say you're expressing these beliefs to a group of people. I would say it's far more serious than just a personal, you know, well, troubling. Uh, so I would say not only is her, her teaching held to her higher standards, so when she teaches about the Gospels being fake, um, which I'm just going to use the non-euthanism word, she's teaching the Gospels are fake, um, not only is that held to a higher standard, I would say wolf category, like bad, very bad, higher standard than just you individually not being a pastor, believing it, is teaching it. However, um, even then, it's not as bad as denying the atonement, which she's evolving to do. So I mm. guess started the ball rolling with some bad stuff, and it's, and it's growing here. But let's hear her actually say it with her own mouth. What my trembling self didn't know, but now knows, is that for centuries, the atonement theory, which cast Jesus as God's sacrifice for sin, for centuries, this theory did not exist. Oh, oh my gosh. I think I just lost five years to my life, as I like to say pretty often. For centuries, it did not exist. Um, I guess maybe if you're living in her weird parallel universe where the Gospels were written centuries afterwards or something like that. But um, no, they're, they're right there in the Gospels and then in the epistles. So I, I don't think it was invented centuries afterwards. Uh, not only that, 
it was believed by early Christians immediately. So uh, we went over this in our, our podcast episode about the different atonement theories, about some of the historicity, historicity of atonement theories. But uh, penal substitutionary atonement, as much as people attribute it, uh, attribute it to, attribute it, ascribe it to John Calvin or somebody else in the Reformation, um, they might have titled it penal substitutionary atonement. But the belief that Jesus died as a substitute for our sins to pay the punishment which is penal substitutionary atonement, was believed from the very earliest Christians. There were some who believed in the ransom theory, really only in the East, um, but the rest were, were total regular old penal substitutionary atonementists, even if they didn't know what to call that. I'm pretty sure that they just called that gospel even Christian because there was no other competing views. But um, yes, it's, it's not true that this is a centuries later development. I mean, unless you are you gonna now conspire and say that Clement of Rome didn't write Clement of Rome right. or Ignatius of Antioch or I mean, there's way more Polycarp. evidence of the Bible being written by its authors than those, right? And there, and we have less copies of those early things, so maybe she just questions it all. Who knows? In the Christian, keep going. In yeah, church, we, we plow. Indeed, the idea that Jesus was some sort of substitutionary sacrifice for sin was not fully developed until the 11th century. I, I guess she pulls at the 11th century. I guess she's being generous here. The 11th century. I don't know who was writing the 11th century, but um, I mean, yeah, thinking just, just wrong. Like the Third Lateran Council. I mean, that's just I'm I just saying. Maybe they reaffirmed like you know substitutionary in that. In any case, it's been a prevailing thought in Christian uh, for years, uh, like so prevailing that there's the ransom theory is really the only um, other prevailing theory. There's also one called substitutionary atonement, which just removes the penal part. But really, it's just like a half-baked uh, penal substitutionary atonement that I would say was an early attempt by Saint Anselm, who. Um, Maybe she's claiming he was in the early centuries of creating penal substitutionary atonement, but um, it's really just like an incomplete version of penal substitutionary atonement. I cannot, and I will not, worship a god who demands a blood sacrifice. And you won't. <laughs> and you won't. Unless the Spirit of God gives you the grace to yeah. understand how far away you are from God. How just... I would say depraved, not just you, myself, Michael, all humans are in comparison to Christ himself. The reason why people struggle with this so much is because we think we're good and we don't need someone to do something like that. Or like, who is God to direct things for us? Well, that was arrogance. We've built a God in our own image. Yes, you will not believe that until the Spirit of God enters you, softens your heart of stone and turns it into a heart of flesh, as Christ once said. Right. So it's not um, it's not surprising or a powerful witness to say that you won't worship the only true God because, yeah, like we said in the beginning of the episode, there's no neutrality. So if you don't love God, you hate God. And so because you don't love God, you hate God. You refuse to worship the actual God. And you've made a God of your own understanding, just like uh, Isaiah talks about idolizers of old taking a chunk of wood, cutting it in half, burning one in the half in the fire and carving an image out of the other half and then worshiping that image. You've taken something that is not God ideas straight out of your own armpit the armpit of other theologians and he said this is my god it's not grounded in scripture it's not grounded in reality it's grounded in my aspirations and what i want god to be like and now you worship that god that god cannot save you he is not a wise god and he hates you because he does not exist and cannot help you so the only god that does not hate you is the god of the bible the actual god and if you reject that god there's no other for you indeed i found what i was looking for this is, I finally have it. I was so sad I didn't have my Jesus Sutras last week, but I took a picture of it and I was like, I might need this. I'm like, I see why I took a picture now. It all, it's all coming together. It's almost as if it was 
predestined to happen. <laughs> Divine providence, okay. Yes. So yes. these are Jesus sutras are from Eastern fathers? Yes. From the six to seven hundreds, China. China, not the West. Mm-hmm. Not the West, again. Repeat, not the Roman Empire, not this Western religion. Very diverse. Woke religion, it is. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So this is part of the Jesus Sutras found in China when the Christian when the Christianity was making an entrance there. This is part of the Yi Shen Luan, which means in our gentle English tongue, the Lord of the World Discourse on Alms Giving. What a mouthful. So here's the quote. But the lamb was led to the slaughter, soundless and voiceless. By the love of loving you, he suffered silently according to the law in order to transform the corrupted nature of Adam. For instance, Mi Shi He died under the five attributes, but that was not the end of his life. Thus, even the foolish ones can avoid death like the other descendants of Adam. Regarding death, there is no way for them to get rid of death. Only by the holy method of redemption can they be forgiven by the Mishuha. By this simple way, people can receive salvation through the suffering of the Mishuha. He was not without strength to bear suffering or to do something, but he obeyed the law and was therefore crucified on the cross. Wow, it's almost as if the Chinese, who are separate from the Roman church, right? Yes. Not a missionary from Rome. Yep. Uh, they probably don't even know what the Pope... I mean, probably didn't know what the Pope was, but they have no connections with that Pope in Rome. It's almost as if they believe that Jesus was fulfilling Old Testament prophecy about having to die in order to, what, take us away from Adam, mm-hmm. which were separated from God. Therefore, he has brought us to rightful standing, good relationship with God. We have peace with God. And even foolish one, meaning sinners, can have that peace. Wow, it's almost as if we believe the same thing. And frankly, I don't really understand why she is trying to, to give herself some historical backing that early Christians didn't necessarily believe in penal substitution atonement because she's already, I'm sure, ready to admit that she's doing a new thing, right? She's constructing her own faith. She's deconstructing the faith of her fathers and reconstructing something in her own image. So why is she trying to pull out ancient saints who clearly were bigoted and hated homosexuals and the rest that they, they um, so praise these days? So... Why, why would you try to get the early saints to agree with you? Like, why not just abandon the historical nature of Christianity entirely? Um, I say you've got nothing to lose at this point. Reading the accounts of the anonymous gospel storytellers with eyes opened wide by biblical scholars, historians, and theologians, we've like learned to read between the lines and beyond the page. And the portrait of Jesus is being remembered in ways which reflect not the traditions of centuries, but rather the possibilities of Jesus' time and place. I, I think what she means by that is that we are changing the view of Jesus who really should be a malleable, changing idea, right? That he's really an idea of the perfect man for his time. That his previous time was a time where it was good to um, reject adultery and to be patriarchal and whatever else Jesus was that she doesn't like. But today, Jesus wouldn't be that because we all know the best way to be um, Jesus like today is to be a um, short chubby lesbian who pastors a church in... Vancouver, right? That would be the the ideal human today. So uh, 
that's of course a lie and is trying to do what we've been saying this whole time and that is to recreate a god in their own image or something they want um jesus is what he is he wasn't was something he is as he still reigns and lives today and he is um what he is you can't if you deny it you deny the living god you can't change him and deny what he is because you think you can make your own better god he is the only god we are beginning to understand jesus the man and this causes me to tremble 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 because Jesus the human being was a justice seeker the likes of which the world rarely sees Jesus dead I mean she's already denying everything so why am I <laughs> why am I even shocked but um, so Jesus was a man so not God got it yeah right. denying the Lord of glory got it yep um, but equally he was one of very few apparently there are others similar to Jesus um, perhaps uh, like buddha before i'm like who? oh yeah she is getting into buddhism okay. she talked about okay why am i saying this but yes yeah, she has been talking about getting study yeah. buddhism oh my gosh okay yes so she's saying that jesus is just like essentially one of many gurus i mean welcome him aboard like the hindu train i guess because hindus do the same <laughs> thing like oh yeah jesus he totally believed in vishnu and like all this garbage and he was just one of many many uh teachers many swamis like did he do we have any proof for that? No. Is it anywhere in the scriptures about Jesus? No. We're just saying that. So she equally says he's he's a justice seeker. Um, of course, she doesn't even know what he saw, sought because she doesn't have any words about him because she denies the gospel. So what? So what did he actually do? I get. I, I don't know. What did he do? I don't know what she believes he did and why she believes he did it. But but so she says whatever she believes about Jesus, he was a justice seeker. But he's like a rare few others. So he's not the monogamous. Um, He's not the, the one and only begotten son. He's not the unique son of God. He's just like one of a couple other justice seekers. And these days, in the enlightened days, there's many justice warriors like pastors. I think the word you're looking for is monogenes theos. Monogenes theos. Thank you. Yes. You're welcome. By the way, if you noticed, I, I, I find entertaining the subtle mantra. You can tell she's getting into Eastern mysticism like tremble, tremble tremble like that's a mantra you know that's a, Is it a this mantra? it's also like snap poetry i feel like it's like a slam poetry thing in any case yes um it's dumb he <laughs> that's okay you can do dumb thing that's not the reason we're um we're doing this reaction steadfastly refused to take up arms against his oppressors jesus practiced a non-violent resistance in okay so I know she's she's way off the farm, so this isn't really for her. It's really for anybody who is regular Christian but has some doctrines that I disagree with. Um, pacifism. Was Jesus a pacifist? No. He, he did not resist his arrest because he was giving himself up to die. So when he told the disciples, um, take up swords, they did, right? He told them that before his arrest. He said, take up swords because some will come to kill you, and you're to have swords. And the disciples said, we have a sword right here. And Jesus says, that's enough. And when he was in the garden, clearly Peter is walking around with a sword. Jesus wasn't like, put that, why are you bringing a sword? That's illegal. You know, that should be in a gun safe someplace. That should be in your sword safe someplace. Do you have a license for that? He didn't say any of that, right? <laughs> he knew that Peter had the sword and that he did it on his behest. What he protested to was Peter using that sword to try to resist the arrest and eventual crucifixion of Jesus. As Jesus says, put your sword back in its place. Whoever picks up the sword, unset here but right now right to, to fight this we'll die by the sword like you'll just perish here you're not going to win this fight um or how else don't you know that this right here my arrest must take place otherwise how would the scriptures be fulfilled 
So that is why he rebukes Peter. It was not a rebuke of the sword. It was a rebuke of using the sword to try to resist the arrest and eventual death of Jesus. Well, 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 well. let you just say there, Michael. Otherwise, how will the scriptures be fulfilled? It's almost as if Jesus believes in the, the Old, Old Testament. Testament. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, she doesn't even believe in the New Testament, so I don't think that's going to convince her very much. But um, Jesus was not a pacifist, and we can, not only did he not deny the use of the sword then um, for, for reasons that you might think, it's not a pacifist reason, he also goes and drives out people at the temple, the, the money changers in the temple, with a whip, which is like not very pacifist, right? Forcibly forcing people out using violence. That's what he did. Um, and of course, God, being God, also destroyed the Canaanites, not only commanding the Israelites to do it, but also sending hailstones and crushing them during battle. So, he, And he killed all the firstborn sons of Egypt. I mean, God is also not a pacifist. He's righteous and just, and he's not a violent man like um, like wicked men of this earth are, like Cain or, or other murderers who got murder of their own volition or out of greed. He kills with righteousness, but he is not nonviolent. That is critical. I think that's really something that gets a lot of people who don't even bother to read their Bible. They believe that God, Yahweh in the Old Testament, is petty like Zeus. That's not the case at all. God, when he commands the death of someone or sends you know, like the, a plague on Egypt, for mm -hmm. example, he isn't just doing it on a whim. Like, I feel angry today. I feel like killing some Egyptians. Let's kill them all. He's righteously, without any human pettiness, as we would say, or jealousy, just random, randomly, unjustly kills people just out of his own emotions. Right. Compare that to other myths, which are human-based, we would say. Zeus, for example, if he gets angry at someone, he's going to either shoot lightning down there or he's going to torture or kill someone in a very capricious way. Oh, I mean, I'm even thinking of some myths. I, 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 for fun, I don't know why I did this, but now I see why it's... Coming, it's coming useful in Greek mythology that I took in, in the Metamorphosis from Ovid. Talks about, I think it was Metamorphosis, was another myth, um, another book, another source. Um, there was a fawn, uh, I think that's what the, no, not a fawn, a satyr, a satyr, right? The, yes. the half goat mm -hmm. and then the yep. half man was uh, making fun of, uh, I think it was, I think it was Artemis, if not Athena. When, how she played the flute like he would puff his cheeks and then Artemis or Athena got so angry at that because like why are you mocking me like how I look when I play the flute so he just came out and they like flayed alive this poor <laughs> satyr so you yeah. see the difference right that that guy that goddess I th I'm pretty sure it was Artemis but it could be Athena was out of spite out of anger at the moment out of personal pettiness came in and just skinned alive this 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 creature very different than they got in the Old Testament. But most people who unfortunately don't read their Bibles much, they think Yahweh is like, we're going to say Artemis in this case. Right. You see, that's the problem. So we have gone over this before in the fun cause. That is such a silly and actually strange view of God, seeing how actual, just, merciful, kind, and forgiving he is. Unlike those Greek gods, of, I'm just using Greeks as an example, mm -hmm. those Greek gods over there. So I think that's really is behind a lot of this deconstructionism and it's, it's sad view. The God. Yeah, that's kind of like the origin point, right? When they decide they don't like the God of the Bible, so let's find a way to excuse not believing in him. Yeah, <laughs> now, I know we run like 51 minutes now, so we're going to let her run out for a long time. We might even cut it short, but you can see where she's coming from. At least. Ways which impacted his people and worried his oppressors. Jesus knew God as love. And Jesus proclaimed that love with his life. 
he knew God as love, as if he wasn't God himself, or he didn't know God from the foundation of the world. Of course, he did. He's part of the triune Godhead. Um, but whatever. Even going so... Lots of... I say whatever because there's a lot of heresy here. Clearly, the deconstruction process has been long for this pastorette, and she is um, well delving into many, many lies, as we're trying to, to root out here. Not only her central lie, denying the atonement, but also the denial of scripture and the hatred of God and whatever else. Yeah, at this point, this is like a bed of nails. You know, yeah, you don't so feel a, nail, a single like, one, you yeah. just feel them all. <laughs> so far as to teach people to love their enemies. Jesus challenged the religious authorities of his day to see beyond the scriptures and to embody the God which he defined as love. Jesus. I don't think, does he define God as love? I think, you know, it says it in the scriptures, and I don't think uh -huh. Jesus actually says that. I don't think so either, no. The only reference I can think of is First John, God is love. Right. But then that clarifies what that means, so... I mean, I don't want to, should I spoil, I'll spoil, I'll spoil it. It doesn't matter at this point, I'll spoil it. In some of her other videos, she talks about God being the idea of yeah. love. And you can check her channel for this. She well, goes that's over That's what she's saying right here, basically. Right? Yes, yes, but also it does it over and over again. So it's not that there is a God, like, like a humanoid God, but it's like this shining ball of light that is love beyond like space well, and time usually i don't know her in particular usually they mean like it's not even a shining ball of light right it's just the idea of love is yeah. god because yeah, yeah, yeah. god yeah, that, is that, like that. the ideal that we should yeah, all be aiming for so that's just a redefinition of that okay. yep that's not what what i was saying is that's not what first john, john sends because right? it means I, like, I don't think jesus says god is love and he cares about love right but this is claimed oneness with god and called upon his followers to understand their own oneness with one another Jesus was anything but a pacifist. Jesus. What? What just happened? <laughs> <laughs> she just said he was a pacifist. Jesus was an activist. Oh, snap. Is that the difference? Like pacifists aren't activists? An agitator who practiced civil disobedience in ways which got him noticed by the oppressive powers of empire. Jesus refused mm -hmm. to avoid confrontation with those very powers. I detect some liberation theology, question mark. Yeah, I fight the power, man. I mean, to some extent, I agree with her, right? He, he did upset the powers that be, not just the Romans. I don't think he really upset the Romans. He upset the Jewish powers that be. And so, um, yeah, I mean, he did. He was an activist. He was an agitator. But he didn't always agitate, right? He knew exactly when to go and when not to at the leading of his father. Um, he clearly waited 33 years. And I would assume that, Pastorette, you would say that that if you wait till you're 30 to, to start ministering, you're like, you know, not doing the gospel, but Jesus like is the one that did the gospel and he waited 30 years. So I wouldn't really call him an activist in that regard. Jesus was political, always speaking out on behalf of the poor and the marginalized. He was, I don't know that it was always on the behalf of the poor and the marginalized. He certainly favored them, um, not partially, but only because those who were so more responsible for the rejection of him and of God's ways were those in power. And that's why he was really rejecting them. Um, more than uh, than supporting the poor. Of course, he did support the poor because those are the ones coming to him, so that way he did. But I would say he more rejected the powers that be versus favoring the poor. Um, but of course, I mean, who am I? Just somebody who reads the Bible. Jesus threatened the status quo. Jesus threatened the economic system because it oppressed the poor. What? The economic system? Are you high? Like... He, he says pay taxes to Caesar, right? 
Huh? And I, I, I am all for God's law being being very different than our current monetary system, right? Doesn't allow for interest, doesn't allow for inflation, right? Has standards about uh, pay wages and all this, right? So he's got a lot of controversial stuff. Doesn't have minimum wage. I mean, even in Jesus' parables, he's showing that it doesn't have minimum wage. A lot of things that would rock modern day American consciences. But it's not communism, you flaming weirdo, right? It's not, I don't mean, he, <laughs> He doesn't even say that. I'm sure you get your weird, flaming communism. I don't know where you have it. I haven't heard you say it yet. But I'm just assuming that's what you mean by by um, challenging the economic system. Um, it's like from Acts where it says the believers um, stole everything and then, then they had all equal and they're paying for the widows and stuff. Uh, whatever. Let's keep going. Plow through. <laughs> and enslaved the wealthy. Jesus threatened the military might of the Roman Empire because of the needless suffering and death which was all around him. Je what? What? He didn't threaten. I mean, he he did. I.e., he was the savior, so the Roman Empire was going to crumble, or his empire remained. But he didn't like say, "Down with the Roman down Empire." Down with the Roman Empire. He kind of avoided saying that at all times that he could have. Jesus taught a way of being in the world, which encouraged his followers to live life abundantly and to love extravagantly, pointing to a God who is love. That's a true statement. Uh, I just she redefines, of course, what God is and mm -hmm. whatever else. But that's true. I tremble just thinking about the kind of trouble which Jesus stirred up. I tremble knowing that Jesus loved so fully that he was willing to take the ultimate risk because he believed. It wasn't a risk. It was a, he, he knew exactly what he was going into. It was not a risk. <laughs> he knew exactly what he was going into. He died on purpose. Um, go take I. That death could not conquer love. I believe that Jesus embodied that love, the love which we call God. I also believe that death could not conquer the love which Jesus embodied, and that in remembering Jesus, we experience the love that is the mystery which we call God. Dino. I mean, the, the, we're going to keep <laughs> repeating it, but it's, it's dumb. Of course, it's uh, blasphemy to say that God is the concept of love and whatever else. Um, but uh, equally, it's, it's silly to think that Jesus died um, to show what extent you'd have to go to and that he was taking a risk he he purposely doesn't defend himself in court so that he gets incriminated and dies he could have defended himself and might have even avoided the death penalty but he didn't so it wasn't a risk he was doing it he was giving himself over to death i i'm flabbergasted didn't he say no one takes my life from me but i lay it yes. down on my own accord mm -hmm. and he prays right in the garden um, presumably, I guess, in her mind, to the to the divine concept of love, he prays, if there's any other way, take this from me. So I think if Jesus, the man, was um, running his, his own show and not listening to the Father, right, he would have avoided death, right, and gone and been a pacifist guru somewhere else, maybe moved to Vancouver. But he didn't. He obeyed the Father, who clearly wasn't like the concept of love, who was actually directing him to do something he did not want to do. Of course, he did ultimately want to do it because he wanted to, to obey the Father. But that whatever she's so wrong in so many situations i can see how she believes what she does because she's rejected the scripture i don't even know how she how she um figures out what jesus did because she doesn't believe the scriptures are true so she just picks and chooses what parts of the scripture she believes that's what people do so i'm not surprised on that front i'm just surprised she would openly admit it as a pastor right she sounds like one of the people in the pews who really doesn't know um about scriptures so they just pick and choose what they like and what they don't like right mm -hmm. somebody that's not educated not a teacher right just a, a bum which a uh, lot of patience for the bum because we've all been bums before but the teacher it, like sebastian you were saying a lot more weight to teaching these things 
When I remember Jesus' embodiment of the love which is divine mystery, I see a full human being who had dreams of what might be, a person who dared to imagine that people could be set free from ideas and images about God which enslaved them. I see in Jesus... Is that like him rejecting idolatry from the Old Testament? I, I don't know. A person who understood that every act of human kindness connects us with the love which is divine mystery. In Jesus, I see a person who loved so greatly and taught so clearly and courageously that people were able to see in Jesus the embodiment of the very God which Jesus and his ragtag bunch of followers defined as love. And that this love lives on in the love that Jesus' followers were able to embody. Clearly doesn't believe Jesus rose from the dead is saying he lives on in all of us like, you know, Santa Claus or your grandma might live on or that scene in the movies where, where the guy says, she, your friend's not dead. She lives on in your heart. Like, like not actually living, right? Just like in your memories. That's um, demented, hopeless. Um, your gospel sucks. And so do you. Give it a <laughs> <laughs> I was just really saying Whomever, any, whoever might say we're being too harsh, we're being too critical. <laughs> I should probably no. We, you to warn me before this episode, like don't go for the ad hominem, Michael. And here I am saying you suck. I call you to repentance, Pastor Mary. Come to repentance. You can be one of God's elect and, and be saved, but your current things are making you a blasphemer, and blasphemers suck, like all sinners do. Yes. And, and I, by the way, I I suck. I've I've blasphemed. I've sinned. Right. My only defense is the blood of Jesus Christ, which covers me. The bloody sacrifice, the whole atonement thing. And that way, you don't have to be under the wrath or anger of God, and you have peace and, and a I proper can't relationship. Boast, right? I can't be boasting and saying how great I am. No, exactly. This is, I would say, this is even worse than being just a regular blasphemer. This is being a wolf because you are leading people. Yeah. So it's one thing at some rando, one individual. I could think of some people in my life that do that, that are just coming in and then the presenting whatever, strange, right? strange beliefs or twisting scripture but as a leader in the church whether she's some woman okay that's another story okay yes there are many problems, a lot of here. problems here uh -huh. yes 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 it's a but priority no. problem <laughs> yes the fact that she's a leader that would say puts her in a wolf category you're actively right, yeah, leading I people agree. astray and it just reminded me of second peter um who as a side note it confirms the letters of paul as scripture right that's a right. bonus that's a bonus uh, his letters can so this is Peter speaking about Paul his letters contain some things that are hard to understand which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction so this isn't something to take lightly just picking and choosing things you like from the Bible it is extremely dangerous to intentionally because I would say she's pretty intentional here like I hate atonement so I'm gonna just get yep. that out of there to twist the scriptures to make a god of your own making so not only you're breaking the first commandment but also you're going straight against the teachings of peter the best friend of jesus yes well and you know what peter is giving us the okay to do call people ignorant and unstable so <laughs> that's why i took away from that beyond jesus death and so i tremble 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 i tremble because i know that the crucifixion of the embodiment of love is not over. Uh, once for all sacrifice is done, is sitting down at the hand of the Father, whatever. I mean, she's denying everything. I keep saying whatever because she's already she's already so deep in blasphemy that every new blasphemy is kind of like uh, I my, now my conscience is seared. But um, <laughs> the uh, the the tremble, tremble, tremble thing, like you said, Sebastian, it's the poet 
in her, I guess. But I think also it's kind of odd that she is contrasting her previous trembling at the at the actual atonement was bad, right? It was like convicting and hurting her, um, was what I assume she meant by the trembling, right? She's trembling like in fear, and that's bad because you shouldn't fear God, whatever. Um, that's wrong. You should fear God. In fact, that's exactly how you should fear God, trembling, knowing that he's just, and then coming close and boldly approaching the front because you've been covered by the blood of Jesus. That's how we should tremble and then still be able to boldly approach God and not being afraid of him, i.e. we can't go to him. But now you tremble, um, presumably in a good way, over false doctrines that you've made up yourself. So you know that trembling can be good. So why was the trembling that you had before bad? Uh, leaves to be explained. We are surrounded by crucifixions. Just as surely as Jesus died upon the cross, those who follow the way of Jesus, the way of justice and peace, those who embody love, continue to be tortured, battered, abused, and hauled up upon crosses and executed by the forces of violence and death, the forces of the empires which continue to enslave us. The crucifixion didn't happen once and for all, way back when, in the mists of time. Love is crucified over and over again, as the ways of empire, the ways of greed, to what extent we have to take up a cross and follow Jesus so you could say we're being crucified and the apostles were actually crucified and we could say we have to take up a cross and be willing to die. So if that's what you mean, yes, but it's not the same way that like Jesus died, right? But he died for one particular purpose and the apostles died after him for a different purpose, for, for the sake of his kingdom, but they didn't die to, to save the world, right? They didn't die to, to pay the price for sinners. And so equally, we die, right? So you could say that, that righteous people die on the earth today or that the truth is crucified, but it's not it's not a continuous crucifixion like Jesus was crucified, right? It's a, it's like mini ones after him, but they're not, they're not equivalent or greater. Yes, part of the problem is she thinks Jesus probably was just a regular man. So you know that there's, there's and that he the, died for apparently no real reason, right? Yes. So equally, when you die or suffer here, you're not really dying for any more reason than Jesus did. So then, something that's been coming to my mind now is then, if there is no God as he is presented in the Bible or any other myths out there too as she might like to say perhaps like in islam or buddhism or whatever it may be no afterlife what is the point in living your best life today if there is no heaven if you're going to either fade away right become one with the universe or whatever the it may classic, be like like uh, argument we give against atheism it's not the only one but one of them is that if there's nothing after this life which we're making some presumptions here but considering like it's a gigantic grab bag of all heresy i'm assuming this is, <laughs> is one of the ones in the grab bag mary um but there's no afterlife oh you mean don don sorry I, i've said mary like a couple times now it's don don hutchins apologies don pastor don um, i don't know why mary was coming to my mind i guess mary mother of jesus i'm just on my mind um but uh if you don't believe in the afterlife whether you were great in this life and had the best experiences or you had the worst life ever, you know, sad orphan to, to the end, um, when you die and you rot away and there's nothing left, it literally makes no difference whether you were a poor orphan that suffered forever or a super rich mega billionaire. Um, makes no difference because you don't remember any of it because you're dead. So you might as well kill yourself right now. Now, we wouldn't call you to do that because that's actually a false philosophy. You don't just rot away and die you actually go on to either eternal life or eternal punishment, as we quoted Jesus saying. So we would call you to repent so that you do not go into eternal punishment. And we call those who are already living in Jesus to live life to the fullest. As Jesus says, he gives you life and life in the fullest. So we say that this life is a worthy cause. There's good things to do. And out of obedience and love for the Father and God, Jesus Christ, we should obey him and live life to the fullest here and serve him here. Um, but atheists philosophically and people who don't believe in afterlife like maybe yourself pastor don don't um believe there's anything afterwards so theoretically you should be 
as happy to commit suicide as you would be to high-five your neighbor tomorrow. Yes, but now do not do that. Right. Well, it Come speaks, to Christ. speaks to the fact you're made yeah. actually in the, the actual image of the living God that you don't do that because you shouldn't because you would be cast into the lake of a fire at your current state. You need to repent and believe. Come to God. Violence, war, and death exact their punishments on the innocent victims of the world. Love is crucified all over again when calls for peace through justice go unanswered. Love is crucified all over again in the countless lives which are destroyed by our lust for power and our quest for stuff. Love is crucified all over again when creation is scarred, wounded, and poisoned by our arrogance and greed. Love is crucified again and again when we fail to see the face of God who is love in our sisters and brothers of every clan and race and tribe. And so I tremble, tremble, tremble because I know that I am there when they crucify my love. I am there all too often lurking in the background as they nail love to a tree. I am there all too often when I fail to embody the love which is divine mystery, when I do not speak out or act up, but cling not to the cross, but to the comforts of the status quo. I am there each and every time, and it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. We agree that we should act out politically. We should act out in our personal lives to defend what is good and righteous actively, not just speak with our mouths, as James says, when somebody says that they're warm and hungry, when a brother, specifically, when a fellow Christian says that they're warm and hungry, and or they're not warm, they're cold and hungry, <laughs> and we say, be, be warm and filled, um, and then don't do anything about it, that, that's hypocrisy, right? So we're, we're called to act out our faith with fear and trembling, actually. I think that's the quote, act out your faith in fear and trembling, uh, work out your salvation, whatever. I, I'm not quoting well today. In any case, the the... I understand. I'm sure your political stances are very different than ours. So putting that aside, um, I agree with this. I, I do think it's a false equivalency to say that it's another crucifixion because it's not really like we are dying to self and we are sacrificing. So we are suffering like unto Christ's suffering and then therefore sharing in Christ's suffering as the scripture says. But Christ is not being crucified again. So when you say love is being crucified again, that is wrong. It's not. We are not love. God is love. And yeah. we are not God. Well, a Catholic may agree with her on that one, but that's another. That's <laughs> well, a story right, for, for another communion, people. right? Not, <laughs> yes. uh, not this. How about you? Were you there when they crucified our love? If you tremble at the truth of the death of love in so many places, in so many ways, over and over again, please try to remember Jesus, a person who steadfastly refused to confront violence. So instead of saying that love is God, i.e. love is defined by who God is, she says God is defined by what love is. And then she defines love as, you know, being a hippy-dippy lesbian pastor from Vancouver and whatever else she, she values, um, her neighbors of every race, tribe, tongue, whatever, all those social justice points you could get. And so that's what God is. So she defines God because she defines love, whereas we would say God defines love. So we don't know what love is if we don't know who God is, right? It's totally different. So when the Bible says God is love, it's actually saying that God defines love. And you say that you define God, which is wrong and paganism at its core. So you're not a Christian. Um, you claim to be, but you're just as Christian as a Hindu is, meaning not. Um, <laughs> please come to Christ because you know who he is, but you've redefined a different Christ. And you say you hate. I mean, you know who the real God is. You hate him. You say you don't want the one that, that demands a bloody sacrifice. That is God. Thankfully, he has given that bloody sacrifice for the benefit of humanity, come and accept it. Repent and believe. And pardon the irony here, 
but I do have to quote ironically first John 4 because he says this is how God showed his love among us he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him this is love not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins I got atonement in there sacrifice in there that works. Yeah, it's the one that says God is love. And just, yeah, just keep reading the next few sentences from what right. I just read. So yes, it love is something that comes from God. It is it's not a thing. Love is not the thing we worship. It is right. an attribute. It's an attribute of God. Or as our fellow Orthodox friends that tend to comment so much in our channel would say the energy, one of the energies of God. So yeah. With violence. A person who embodied the love which is God and gave his life to setting people free. A person who pointed beyond himself to the one who is love itself. A person who trusted that love is eternal, that love lives beyond death. Remember Jesus and look beyond the crucifixions to the power of love to live beyond the grave. Remember Jesus and see the power of love to transform fear into hope and hope into new life. Let hope into what? Hope of what? It's not eternal life. Must you redefine eternal life to meaning like being unhappy and unmarried and wanting the world to change but never seeing it like oh uh, yes there is a benefit of christian living here and there's hope for here that that god is a provider and he provides um, your daily bread right and that, that he's going to provide for these things that every suffering that you have today is worth something as romans eight twenty eight says all things work together for the good of those who love god and those called according to his purpose however the real hope that's referenced in scripture is the, the hope in the resurrection, right? In being raised from the dead, actually physically raised from the dead and physically reigning on earth with, with Jesus, right? So that is the hope, the ultimate hope of Christian in teaching. And you deny that hope. Um, you have no hope. Your hope is dumb. It's tiny. It's not real hope at all. And it will fail. It's not even a guaranteed hope. It's a risky hope, you might say. Whereas the Christian hope is guaranteed. No risk at all because we trust in God. How many movements have risen, died, disappeared, countries become tyrannies, yep. and for the worse. And yet so. the church remains. Yeah. Let us remember that we were there when they crucified our love, and we will be there when love rises from the tomb. Oh yes, this causes me to tremble. I'm going to redefine uh, um, the word shoot uh, the woman. I mean, shoot means um, actually kiss, and the woman means my dog. So when I say, I really want to shoot that woman, it actually means I want to kiss that dog. So I really want to shoot that woman. Um, you cannot redefine every word in a sentence and think of it as the same thing. It does not mean the same thing. So when you say that, that, that we crucified our love and like you've redefined God as our love, and therefore when you say crucified our love, you're referring to the crucifixion of Jesus. And when you say that um, he rose from the tomb, uh, you really mean that like we remember what he did um you are a liar plain out you're not it's not even that you're a liar because you're mistaken like you have false things that you believe and so you're you're propagating that you are intentionally deceiving with your words and i hate that um hate the sinner not the sin i hate that that is lying and liars will be punished in hell please pastor at repent tremble tremble we'll be there when love rises from the tomb. Will you? Or will you be dead? Because your version of love, your version of Christianity, your version of religion has no eternal life. So you might be one of the many who died before you that never saw justice on the earth. 
now real Christians will be resurrected and see justice done at judgment day and then live in glory forever. But if you don't believe in that, well, then, of course, you have no hope. All right. Well, that's it. We've gone very long, hour and 15 minutes for a 15-minute video because that's how we do things. But, Sebastian, do you have any closing comments before we let her go? Yes, I do. I've noticed something that primarily with people on this side of the of the theological aisle, let's say that let's say that way, mm -hmm. <laughs> besides all the things that we have said. <laughs> we want to be very PC here, yes. Careful with our words. Yes. Justice is so emphasized, but my goodness, what a low, low bar uh, you guys are setting for justice. You want real justice? Look to Christ himself, who will come for round two. He's going to come back, and he will reign himself. Look at all the silly governments that people invent, from the governments going from China which emperor worship so many millions died so many civil wars from that sad greek democracy that just was didn't didn't do so well mm -hmm. roman republic we all know about that one the monarchies in europe the tribes in africa we all know how sad those are sad governments bad, bad and this bad. government let's not ignore it will yes. fall like any other but you said it thank you so there we go cia you hear that <laughs> i'm not doing anything yeah look at how sad and pathetic uh, humans are at running we are not able to we're not capable of keeping our act together and actually delivering justice in fact the law shows us the law of god like the, the one that jesus believed in shows us how far we are from perfection from true moral excellence but he he is the only one who can set things right he is the only one who can judge without any bias with without any partiality he can judge perfectly and he has promised that even if you don't see justice done in this life you have the hope and assurance because of the the bible the books that maybe you don't believe in but yes they are as they're as real as history and you have the assurance that he will return he will set things right and for eternity you can have peace you can be part of his kingdom and with your love for justice that's excellent that's very good and just as paul said to the athenians i see you're very religious people get rid of all the bad stuff and turn to the one and living god likewise you want real justice turn to the one who can fully give it to who can fully give it jesus christ not any human institution not any leader not any group of people christ himself that is why we have found our cause in serving that very same, the living, the true, the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. We have been the Found Cause. I've been Michael, the man behind the machine. And to my left, your right has been Sebastian, the bookkeeper. If you want to see the rest of our episodes, you can go to foundcause.behindme.com and download all for your listening pleasure. But if you want to hear our, or if you want to see our beautiful faces and hear us, you can go to facebook.com forward slash foundcause or go to YouTube and look us up there, Found Cause on YouTube. We're also on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you might find your podcast. So until next time, we talk about something completely different. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.